0: What's up, guys? Episode thirty-nine of the Startup Muscle Podcast right now. Um, uh, today we are talking to James Giancotti. He is a multiple found, multiple-time founder. We were put in touch by Venture PR, which is such an awesome um, PR agency for the early-stage startup uh, space. And um, to my knowledge, James is in his basement in San Francisco. And we're ready to have him on the show. So James, man, happy Monday. And how's it going?
1: Yeah, good, good, good. Can't complain. And yes, yeah, certainly in a basement somewhere in San Francisco, saving myself from the, uh, the fears <laughs> of uh, SOMA and uh, markets straight out of San Francisco, yeah. It's crazy up there, not not even kidding. <laughs> yeah, it is. her <laughs> in the basement, yeah. I,
0: I can see those streams back in the day, so I'm guessing you're, you've still got a little bit of an uh, investment banker in you. Is that still
1: yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So you can never get rid of the investment banker. So even though I'm, you know, actively running, you know, running a company, I'm also actively looking at charts all the time. And I learned when I was a banker that always understanding the charts helped you understand what the market is going to do next, and that's really helped me a lot. So plus, I like looking at lots of screens as well. You can never have enough screens these days.
0: I've only got
1: most of working with, I think, is two or three, but I got to experience seven one day (laughs) (laughs) there's only four but you know there's it is black friday soon so everything's on sale you can put an 80 inch in your room and then just you know pretend to work off it you know that's also good as well
0: just just out of the out of the blue what is like your best what do you say is the best uh you know monitor to have or what's the best brand
1: uh, I don't know about, I mean, Samsung are good, but the 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 way I see it is it's all about your workflow. So if you're working on charts or you're working with spreadsheets, I tend to like widescreen 34-inch monitors and two of them. This is what you can see behind me. Um, uh, or you can, you know, if you like working on a laptop, work, work on a laptop. But, you know, I'm not a fanboy here brand or that brand. I just like to get, you know, I'm just all about productivity. Maybe four is excessive but who knows you know maybe i need to get to 6 or 10 it's 10 times more i can lose my money i don't i don't know <laughs> that's, that's hilarious uh, and by the
0: way are those sound sound what do you call them sound foam or like does that help yeah the
1: the the, <laughs> the wonderful the wonderful guys at um uh, at amazon sort of hooked me up to do a bit of testing on this and it's uh it's quite wonderful because i'm in a basement um, and I don't like making too much noise as I sort of uh, yeah you know. yeah yeah it's a it's a big apartment building so you don't want to make too much noise as I crank up the volume or have these chats or you know talk to my team a bit of a bit of soundproofing helps yeah I gotta look into that I might ask you after this <laughs> to, to hook me up with that
0: <laughs> but uh, you know without further ado man can you talk to us a little bit about yourself I know you got a long history
2: yeah.
0: um from what I've read about you know, a decade in iBanking to, to going to school in Australia, there's, there's a bunch of stuff to unpack, but um, if you could just talk to us a little bit about uh, Up and uh, what the company is and the mission.
1: Sure. Um, so I can talk about what we are now, and what I've done in the past. So uh, I come from a sort of a lawyer background. I got my law degree, um, didn't want to be a lawyer, um, which was much to my father's disappointment, but hopefully I've made him proud now <laughs> with what I've done. Um, I actually always <laughs> wanted to, always wanted to chase charts and chase um, uh, sort of the banking area. So I went into banking at J.P. Morgan and also Goldman Sachs. And then I got to a point in my stage of life that I wanted to build stuff. And previously I had a couple of e-commerce businesses that I sold, um, which I was over the moon with um, because you know you turn something very su- small into something big. Uh, and then uh, I started a venture firm Uh, in Hong Kong I was in Hong Kong and one of the things I would do because previously gone I'd write research reports I'd write research reports for startups and a lot of the LPs in the fund would say oh this is really good this is actually a business and I'd go no 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 no, it's okay and then all of a sudden more and more people (laughs) I sent to to see it is and it actually became a business as in they wanted that type of level of research in a company that they couldn't find on you know currently on the internet or with any uh, venture firm or so forth so that's when Up was born and so up became you know uh you know a, a twinkle in my eye in 2015 to now where it is right now as a uh, multinational big company that's growing from strength to strength so uh, that's how odops come about and what up does is simply is we rate startups uh, we look at companies, we give them a startup rating, how well they're performing, their score, and also valuation. And the valuation is a key thing because uh, when you look at companies that raise, let's say, on up raised 100 million at a billion dollar valuation, that's what the, the value is today. But what is it tomorrow? Is it higher? Is it lower? And so we look at a valuation on a day by day basis on every single company.
0: Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was a venture analyst uh, two years ago and we were using. I mean, we weren't as heavily invested into the software of uh, financial analysis, but I mean, there's Crunchbase, uh, the PitchBook, and then the other one, which is like CB Insights, right? How do you, how how in your own words, is uh, ADAP ahead or, you know, differentiated from what what already exists and you know, both the three uh, players?
1: Well, we started in Hong Kong and we still got a very big Asia presence. You know, we're very big in China and India and, and Southeast Asia and Mid-Asia. Uh, so Asia is our forte, even though I'm in the US and a lot of our major customers are in the US, um, we understand Asia. And that's one thing that a lot of the competition doesn't focus on. You know, they don't understand the nuances of China or India or so forth. Um, Asia has been a growing pot for us and it will continue to be a growing pot. And that's how we, we work our first differentiation. We're looking at Asia, whereas others are looking at, particularly the US. The second part about it is that, you know, all of us, all of our companies, you know, you mentioned CB Insights, Pitchbook, we've all been around for years. So the model works and it depends, and what we find a lot of customers use all of us. And they use us for different reasons. And it's basically verification between the two, um, all the different things that we provide. So something like Pitchbook is great for LPs. You want to know, you know, how a fund is created or something like cb insights is great for doing some deep dives in the u.s whereas we are great for ratings and and valuations when every single one of us as companies have their own place in the market and that we've all survived the tested time is testament to all of us as not just Ottawa but everyone else so i only say good things about my competition as well
0: man man, that's a rare trait i feel like uh you know people would want to I i don't know just maybe that maybe highlight their uh what do you call them their weaknesses and, but hey i love i love the answer you yeah, know it's it's a great and i'm looking forward to learning more about that as well um so you so to trace back the steps you were in hong kong when you wanted to be built or when you started building it
1: yeah so i was in hong kong i was working for a, for love the love of goldman sachs and money so i was working as a banker and then i moved into a venture fund purely because I wanted, you know, a different experience. I wanted to run my own show, um, and so Hong Kong was. There was a need, and and we grew very big in Hong Kong, and then across throughout Asia because like, as you know, in Silicon Valley, you know, unless you're in the billion dollar mark cl- club or multi-billion dollar mark club, you don't really get much attention. You sort of sit in the background and you have to build that attention up unless you've got billboards everywhere on the uh, 208 or the 101. <laughs> um, but it, it's, uh, you know, for us, you know, we were, uh, I'd like to call it the local celebrity as we built, you know, we, there wasn't many of us companies, there was We WeLab, us and BitMEX at the time, you know, there was only a few of us and we all became very strong companies in their own and FDX is another one that came from hong kong so you know we, we we used we used the market to sort of build an audience around us of people who wanted to invest in startups and then grew within asia so i always you know we, hong kong has been very kind to us and i always think fondly of it
0: yeah i'd love to hear you know your take on the chinese and you know hong kong uh venture capital space um as somebody who's never really gone there but knows that there's a lot of capital they have to deploy what are your thoughts on the ecosystem over there compared to the u.s and is there really a difference
1: um there is a sizable difference um i think uh if you're in the crypto landscape where a lot of it sort of stems from hong kong i mean the home of crypto people would like to think it's elsewhere it is hong kong the bulk of the biggest companies in the crypto space were in hong kong so from a from a crypto uh, venture capital space that's your home in the world from a startup space you've got two types of investors where you've got the investors typically who are more well off than anywhere else on the planet and they will look at a diversified portfolio typically either you know let's say Thirty percent, forty percent in China companies, and maybe India companies, and the rest in U.S. backed. So typically, the Hong Kong type of investor will be looking at foreign cap, uh, foreign companies, and very little bit of that. A little bit of that money will be focused on startups in the actual city. So you're looking at a very diverse portfolio, as opposed to someone in the Bay Area where they're going. You know, if I can't get to you within 45 minutes, I'm not going to put a check down you know because they're you know it's the the lazy feel um that yeah. thankfully has changed a fair bit because of covid and people are like you know i don't care where you are you could be in denver you could be in you know honolulu you could be anywhere really and we can <laughs> put a check down but but you know ch- typically for hong kong is they're always out outward focused so from the china the china venture capital area A lot of companies uh, are backed within a like a Sequoia China or a a GGV China where they're using um, overseas funds to get into those China companies and they've done exceptionally well. Um, And the same thing for India and the same thing for other places. But in Hong Kong, they've got a very global perspective where they're looking at their funds. You know, Hong Kong has got such a small amount of great companies that, you know, even million dollar checks in different companies, they're still not going to get the plethora of companies as they would in the u.s and most of those funds in hong kong and in asia uh, go outside in china within within china i see um another thing that just popped in my head was uh if you would be able to i guess describe
0: the entrepreneurial element in hong kong um just because i think china is you know we're really seen from our perspective as like a they're really intelligent people and you know have a lot of uh well, I mean, they have a different government, right? Or like Hong Kong. I know they're a little bit separate, but there's definitely a, a sense of uh, uh something, something we wouldn't know is happening in Hong Kong. That's going to be a big technological breakthrough or something like that. Um, and you having created odd up in uh, Hong in China, right? Hong Kong. How how do you describe like I guess the scene of startups over there and what you recall? So. The-
1: So I can talk about two things in in regards to Asia and and Asian uh, entrepreneurs. first thing is they're the hardest working in the world. They work their butt off. And so I I find myself more, I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying this, more lazier in the US than I would be in Hong Kong just because (laughs) of the way things are. Um, everything is on the move like that in China and Hong Kong, just just fast. And so you've got, and people work in different, they're, they're closer to work, they can move faster, they, they're much more popular, bigger population, they're very driven, and they know how fast scale can grow. And so the entrepreneurs in 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 Asia are the some of the best in the world, um, from you know deliverance, you know building e commerce companies. They just they can go through process at a rapid rate better than anyone else. The difference between America is that there's where the creativity kicks into another level, where uh, you know Americans are building something that's just okay. Let's let's build a rocket to the moon, or you know something really outlandish, where where you've got that 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 sort of let's it take a risk and hope it. Whereas in in China there's that. I don't want to take the risks. So I'll do a formula that I know works and I'll do it better than the West. And so that's where the that's where the difference works. In Hong Kong, it's probably the most entrepreneurial city on the planet. Everyone is either in logistics or in banking or everyone's always building their own. It's rather than I'm working for a company, I'm working for myself, for my family, or working for my, you know, my relationship. I'm always working and I'm I'm the owner of me. And so you'll find that. Everyone in, in everyone in Hong Kong, a good example is I use this all the time, people can never get get over it, is that there are a lot of people who work and then um, shops open quite late in Hong Kong as an example. They would go and open up a toy shop in Mongkok where they would, you know, after they finished work for the day, they would work then for four or five hours selling transformers a lego or someone else would go to a computer shop where they've worked all day at a, at a bank and then gone for four or five hours and work longer and then they they live on little sleep but they're still making money and hence where people go oh why are they buying everything it's because they're working four or five times more than everyone else so they're the best entrepreneurs in the world without uh, from a from an, a process perspective without doubt no question
0: man i value value that insight i mean i've only been there once and it was when i was 10 and uh I don't rec- remember anything, but,
1: um, <laughs> <Roda's changing laughs> me, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what, uh, I mean, what do you, What do you think that is? I, I, I mean, I, I'm just, uh, uh, I'm just, I mean, kind of shocked and kind of trying to process like what makes, you know, that whole ecosystem that way. Is it that, uh, they're motivated simply by money or is it more like, you know, take care of the family and they have different, you know, socioeconomic, uh, roles they have to live by. What do you think makes the, them or Hong Kong exactly the best, um, or you know, most hard hardworking city? As, as you kind of alluded to.
1: So the difference between and a lot of people in the US find this uncomfortable to talk about, but it's yeah. the truth. And that is that the, the US runs on debt, whereas Asia runs on savings. And so your aim in and there's none of this social with social welfare. None of this. Um, sort of safety net uh, uh, if you make money you, you earn it if you lose money bad luck you're on the streets type of thing it's very sort of cut and dry there's no sort of safety net whereas in the u.s you're yeah, no, yeah. encouraged to take risks so hence why the role the the companies that that are being produced in in asia versus um america, america. Yeah. the american companies are very risk orientated they're in they're, they're pie in the sky we hope it's going to change the world it usually does but there's a lot of venture back. Money to make it get there because there's a risk for five, 10 years before it gets to where it is. Whereas in in Asia, they work their butt off on an idea that's already proven, they just can do it better and faster and at its scale. And that is the difference. So, and that I mean, that's generalizing, but it would be 95% generalization. It'd be pretty much yeah, I, in that, I, that regard. I, uh-huh.
0: I, I can see that with, with Didi, you know, Chuck Singh and Alibaba versus Amazon and, you know, Uber kind of make that uh prove that out right like that's kind of yep. the, 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 yeah for
1: sure yeah i mean of course now it's different they're taking more risks and um a lot of people like so a lot of people in asia have been looking at china in that sort of uh, japan moment so for japan in the 60s they created some phenomenal kind 60s to the 80s you know everything from nintendo sony canon um you know these some phenomenal companies from japan that have built and they become world-class brands in Asia, in China particularly, they're not at that stage now, but you're starting to see it. Like, uh, you know, uh, Xiaomi is probably a company that they're building, you know, they started building a copy of whatever was out there, a Samsung phone. Now they're building their own ecosystem and it actually looks better than a lot of the stuff that's coming out <laughs> here. So yeah. you, you, so once the risk is gone, then they can innovate and they can innovate at scale. The second thing, and this is not all a I love China type of thing, it's just purely of how I see the entrepreneurs. is, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone here in the U.S. about the fast train from L.A. to Sacramento, and that it would take ten years. Now, in ten years, China has built, you know, more roads than the U.S. combined. So, just let's put it in perspective of how fast they're fast they can move at a scale. And so, um, I always give the warning to U.S. entrepreneurs is, is that you know it's not that, you know, China's the big big wolf is that you're letting China become better than you. And so the, the U.S. needs to come back and say, well, you know, actually China didn't do anything. We did this to ourselves. And so people people in the U.S. need to go, well, it's not that they're better or worse or they're more creative or not. It's just that they move faster and, you know, they don't need to have a rest day. They can keep on going.
0: Man, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, I know they're, they're a communist country, right? And, like, there's also the biggest population in the world that they could put to work. So.
1: Yep, a lot of people like- to put to work. But a lot of bums on seats, yes. <laughs> I,
0: I know what you mean. Um, but, you know, this has been really eye-opening. Let's let's jump into some of the uh, questions we had written down for you. Um, uh, the first one is, one of the first ones I want to ask was, uh, uh, like, how did you think about the choice to leave, you know, an investment banking role to create your own company and, You know, if people listening don't quite understand the investment banking life, it's it's similar to entrepreneurial life where you work at least like 10 hours a day, right? And like stay until everyone's gone. And and I guess there's that, but you're getting a paycheck, right? And I, I mean, you're working for under a system that's proven versus venturing out to create your own SaaS company or whatever company it is where you're the only one there. How did you think about that career move and uh you know how how was that time for you i I mean back in back in a couple years back
1: yeah so i always loved working corporate corporate was wonderful but there comes in a time with an entrepreneur and this happens every early stage entrepreneur when they they think they're smarter than everyone i thought at the time when i left (laughs) goldman That I was smarter than them and that I knew what I was doing now for four or five years I was more dumber than them and I didn't know what I was doing because the company was just getting itself started now I think that I made the right decision I'm pretty happy with the decision Um, and I'm doing better than I ever did as, as a banker but you think at the time when you're leaving a company that you know you want to control your own destiny if COVID has taught us anything it's that you know, running your own show in the world that's pretty much messed up at the moment is probably the smartest thing you can do. So maybe I, you know, I, I smelled <laughs> something coming. I'd like to think that I did, but I didn't. But it was more the case of, um, uh, it actually hit me once, and I've said this to the guys at Goldman, so they can't complain too much, was that I went to a meeting, and I just had enough. I was like, you know, and I remember what uh, a boss said to me when I was 22, working at uh, Siemens Business Services in Australia. Now, he was on his last day, after working for forty-five years at the company, name was did a book on, and he said, um, "You know, James, no one ever reads your resume when you die." And that hit me when I was <laughs> at Goldman. I'm like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's right. They'll probably read about what I did at Honor, but..." They probably won't go, you're in, you know, 15 change meetings at Goldman and, you know, you went to, you know, every morning the research, research report. No one cares about that when, you know, you want to live a legacy <laughs> where you've done something good. So, you know, and hence why some of my colleagues from Goldman have become exceptionally strong entrepreneurs in their own right. You know, people like Michelle Sun starting their own uh, Code Academy or Sam Gelman who, are, you know, right, you know, became one of the the... Top um, top uh, first employees at Uber. I mean, these guys who worked with me, you know, they all became entrepreneurs and became successful in their own right. Yeah,
0: you know, I, lo- I love that uh, response, man. I, I mean, investment banking is always pitted maybe as um, a negative light, but you know, there's every every po- there's a bunch of positives that, that can be drawn. And I, I mean, I think that it's helped you uh, with the company and, and everything that um, you've been able to achieve. So, uh, the next question that I'd love to ask you is um, what were the hardest things you, you know, or, you know, the things you underestimated, um, as you kind of mentioned when you left to become a founder versus a banker, I think you know, they're hard in their own right, but they're different in terms of, I'd say that being a founder is more hard in terms of emotional stress, while a banker might be hard in terms of, uh, well, maybe you can just tell me what, what like, what, were, what how Can you compare and contrast the challenges of, I guess, oh, yeah. having a career in banking and being a founder, which uh, I'm sure is all the.
1: Where do I begin? Difference. Um. <laughs> so the first thing is is that when you work at a bank, you've got a paycheck that comes in every week or every year, every month. So the security and stress of how do I pay for things is you know what you're getting whereas as a founder you have to hope you've either raised a, a ton of venture capital or you're making profitability the second thing is and the hardest thing as a founder and if anyone tells you otherwise they're lying to you it's hiring and managing people now I would say first and foremost, I love my team, but I say that on honestly, if I can replace them with robots, I'd be happier because there's less stress to deal with. No HR issues. No, I want to take a holiday. No, I want to leave the company. No, I want to join the company. No, I want more money. None of this stuff that you deal with. You deal with stuff that is very much... Um, uh, you know, basically, you know, you, that's the hardest thing as an entrepreneur, dealing with people and de- and, and not uh, a smaller size team is easier. Once you start getting 20, 30, 40 people, you need the people and resources around you. Whereas at a bank, you've got a HR department, you've got a payroll department, you've got a manager, you've got a sub manager, you've got all these things. When you're the founder, you're it. And so you go from a role where you're sort of a vice president or a small sort of a, 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 a manager And then you're going to a ceo role that is a very big jump and i think a lot of founders don't get that that you have to go into a level that you're not you're just not trained to do if you're a ceo at a bank and then you became a ceo in the company it's a piece of cake but if you uh you know that is one of the things that a lot of people don't get and all the things that come with that um which which take away from building the company you're just managing the company And there's a big difference there
0: i see yeah yeah i definitely think that
1: um
0: the responsibility factors, you know, 10x and, and all that. So uh, can't can't disagree with you there. <laughs> um, can we get a little bit more into up and like the technology they provide? So one thing like co wanted to ask was, uh, can you describe the rating system? I mean, is it in my head? Is it just simply like a Yelp but for these startups? And who who's doing the rating, right? Like, is it anonymous people? Is it uh, other investors or um, just would love to understand that aspect of the, of the software.
1: Sure. So, originally, we used to do ratings by our own metric with a, a team of analysts to do that. Now, we still have a team of analysts, but it's way smaller. It's actually all done by AI, machine learning, um, uh Data inclusion, i.e., all the data that you get from all the things that are happening around the world around a particular company, around a particular industry, a particular location, all that stuff comes out to produce a rating for a company. And we have a rating one to zero, zero to 100, where you would have a score typically on the health of a company. And that's the rating now, where you would say that anything above 70, it's a green like a traffic light system, hence the colors of our company, um, where anything above 70 is a good company, risk is low, and it's a risk profile. So one of the things that investors forget about is risk. Um, and uh, traders love this, but typically investors always need to manage risk. A lot of people outside the investment world don't understand, it, and that's probably a better way of explaining it. Um, and so we are managing risks on 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 companies anything in a red is a high risk company you could still make money off them but they're high risk anything in the yellow space like 41 to 70 would be given a medium risk so they're still they're, they're not out of the water but they're still growing um, and anything above 70, of course, to 100 is is high risk. And then we add a, a viewpoint. You know, where would we see this? This is a buy, a hold, or a sell. Um, and the final part about that is the valuation. And putting this together, we look at the company's metrics over time. How many things have happened since they last raised capital? Let's say they raised capital, as I said previously, hundred billion dollars at a uh, so hundred million dollars at a billion dollar valuation. Um, and then over time what happened the next day and then the next day did they add more people did they reduce people did they get more customers are people talking badly on the internet from it so we track every <laughs> bit of api data we can get access and stuff that we can scrape to pull parts together the good thing about it and i like to say this and people get very uncomfortable about it but um the winter soldier there's a line that says the world is a digital book you just need to know how to read it and that's exactly what we're trying to do with with startups and that is that People put so much information about where they are, what they're doing, how many photos they've got on Instagram, how many posts they put on their Facebook. Do they put a public pro? You know everything about a company before it actually happens because people in your staff are actually helping you with the narrative. People are talking bad about it in chat circles. People you, on Reddit, you name it. So it's not just about all the the bells and whistles that happen with. Um, uh, the the company and all the wonderful things you hear on on TechCrunch and so forth it's actually what's happening day to day and that helps put a valuation together that's all done right. mostly by AI and machine learning and our own algorithms that we spent millions on to get to
0: right right would you be, be or would the company be able to I guess process financials right since they're all kind of private is there is there like a a way that you would just estimate the revenue or how how does that happen you know
1: so it depends on um, which uh, like sort of revenue department from each country. So like in Asia, some of the companies, their revenue and the, the uh, application of where they've uh, submitted their sort of their cap table listings or their, all that sort of stuff and their tax revenue, that sometimes is available in different regions and sometimes it's not. For ones that we don't, don't, we have to take a next best guess based on the information we've got on hand. But for other places which actually submit it, like India, where you can pull that journal information out, you can pull cap t- table information out, we can actually put that stuff together.
0: Gotcha. So so the, the users that they would be early stage uh BC funds
1: in, in Asia and China primarily or I think people who use our product.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like who's like an ideal user, you know what I mean? Like, a-
1: That's who we thought would be, but they're actually not. <laughs> so that's what we created the company for. But in fact, our biggest users are corporates um, who use the product, particularly for either accelerators, they want to get companies on board. Uh, a lot of sales companies use Otter because they want to sell to startups who raise raised capital and how were well they are performing, two parts of that. So you could raise money, but then if you've got a poor school, let's say Amazon wants to give free web services, but in the year they want to know that they can survive, they look at our product in order to see if the companies they're going to offer a year of free, that year they'll be able to pay. So we have a lot of tech companies who use Oh, our I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, as well as uh, corporates, such as, you know, we've got three big customers, Bloomberg, Thomson Reuters, and, and Factiva, Dow Jones, and they use our product on their system. And we've got a lot of data calls where people will pull information from us and use it on their own portal um, uh, to help their customers with more information as well.
0: That's awesome. Um, uh, Yeah, no, I like like the data side of uh, startups, right? Like, it's not like, unless you ask for the data room, you would know. But, uh, (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, your software helps with the, uh, you know, the, the, the manual labor and all the financial modeling and all that stuff, right?
1: Yes. So, I mean, typically we always tell people that, you know, we're one of many solutions that people use, but we're a solution that people can help draw a conclusion. And if someone's going to write a 10, 20, $30 million check on a company, they're going to use our tool. They're going to use some of our competitors' tools to help build a picture. And then ultimately they're going to make their final decision based on their own internal processes. So sure. we're one tool sure. that helps them get there.
0: Uh, yeah, no, that's amazing. I think one more thing I wanted to ask you, or a couple of things else we had to ask was... Was uh, there ever a time like when you were a banker that, that gave you the inspiration to create this? Was it, you know, you were tired of looking at these charts and you needed some software to do it for you? Like What, what did that spark about building occur?
1: So every day would probably be the short answer. Um, purely because the technology at banks are very slow. And I just saw purely, before I actually saw the rating system of Adobe, I saw the technology of how it can get produced. Why do people need to have a Word document printed on a PDF format um, and, you know, put in a binder? Why why can't you do stuff on the internet? That was what I was thinking, you know, seven, eight years ago. You know, why can't I get an app on my phone that just gives me information as I see a a startup? You know, why can't I get that information? Why does everything need to be siloed? So I saw this stuff straight away. And I even, the funny thing is, even at the time there, I was suggesting to my colleagues of, you know, there could be a better way, but then, you know, they didn't They didn't like it. Well, I liked it instead. <laughs> it served me well. <laughs> I, I, I hear
0: you. A couple more things here, James. What did you learn between raising a Series A to Series C? Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how different that raising a Series A compared to the Series C that you guys raised was?
1: Um, you yeah so two the positive and negative the negative is it still takes time right. if not longer um, the negative is the positive is that you don't waste your time when you meet a person that you go, you know what i don't i don't click with this this person's going to cause me too much issues um, their fund is not who i think it is you, whereas is you're an early stage company, you're like, oh, I get as, as much money as I can, as quick as I can. Whereas you're older, you're like, you know, this person could cause a problem for me. Um, and so you're more inclined to make better decisions the later you are because you get better money, the money comes with more intelligence and you can say no more often. So that's the big difference. And I think that's a positive as, as an entrepreneur as time goes past. For sure, yeah. I
0: definitely think that... Uh... You know, it must be a little bit more difficult when you know prior to an MVP, prior to you know, having some traction versus having decent traction, but yeah. trying to prove that you need more capital to make more traction. So, I think that's an interesting point that you uh bring up traditionally. I mean, our like our past couple of guests have just been uh super early stage with you know quality of experiences and in between, but you know, hearing Siri C, I mean, that's uh good achievement so congrats on that i think it just happened like the last month right
1: yeah we actually did it last year but we didn't make the announcement to this year because we were going to and every time we decided to make announcement there was another covid scare we we're like oh don't worry about it we'll do it when covid stops and that's exactly <laughs> what we did it was actually more than 12 months ago but we made that we made the announcement this year because people were like okay we're over covid like we actually talk about what you guys are doing so um uh yeah so we're actually, you know, already on to the next level of what what's happening for our company, and you know, we'll probably make that announcement much quicker than it was last time.
0: Man, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, do you have any suggestions on what else we can talk about? Just wanted to give the mic back to you. Later.
1: Oh, look, well, I mean, I always like to ask you know, particularly for your your you know, a lot of your audience, they're sort of in that you know, will I want to? How should I do it? And what you know, should I go yeah. into? I think the question many people come to me about is, you know, should I do it? And you know, I always say to people is, do you like waking up every day and going to work? And if the answer is yes, don't do it. Because if that's the case and you love your job, you're not going to like being a founder. You, you're better off suited to stay in your job because it gives you joy. But if the idea and you daydream about starting up a company and you think of not necessarily money, but you think of what you can achieve. Don't ever think money comes. Think about yeah. what you can achieve in that time. And you want to build a legacy. You want to build something that really sp- builds strength. In everything you do start a company because now is the perfect time um to do it really if you want to do it it's never been cheaper it's never been easier and honestly a lot of people are be starting companies and still working for someone because their bosses can't check on them anyway so you know that's another yeah, thing
2: yeah
0: <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's another thing yeah for sure sorry um, my
1: fellow silicon valley companies so <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's, it's all
1: good no, no uh, i don't think
0: um i mean that's a great point yeah uh the last couple of things here like what are what have been some good resources that have helped you along the way when you were uh in terms of books or in terms of people like what what gave you inspiration when the inspiration was lower we needed needed help like what 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 gave Experience. you that
1: having mentors who are older being there done that because i think if you're a coachable founder you do really well, and that's the mindset I got out from being a seed. Uh, look at me; I'm the best person. I raised a million dollars. To now going, oh crap! I know how hard it is. You talk to people who have been there, done that. Founders that have been through the they're the best bits of advice you, I can give you because they've 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 been there where you are. You think you're smarter than them, and the longer <laughs> you do a company, the more you realize that you that the team is what makes you successful, not you. You aren't you aren't the star. You know you're not a movie star. You're part of it. You're you're just. The, you're just the coordinator of the machine um that's been one of the inspirations second inspiration is just you know um i think it's a lot of inner zen. you know looking at yourself and going you know writing the list and i always put things like you know what makes me happy what and putting goals together once you put goals and find other people who've done those that will help you sort of get yeah. there so as soon as yeah. i put goals and going you know what i want it like i remember the goal i want to get to series eight you know, I never did that before. Now it's sort of now I want to go IPO. That's the goal. You know, the one next one is I want to build a legacy, or I, you know, I always now say to people, I want Odd Up to last longer than I do. So you know, in a hundred years time, Odd Up's still going strong. I'm no longer in the world, but it's still going, and so sort I've of made an effort to get there. So these are the sort of goals to the post that you can work towards because that keeps you motivated. If you were to
2: go back and tell your 20-year-old self a piece of advice when it comes to entrepreneurship and I guess, building a technology company in particular, what would you say? And I know you're back in, was it Australia or Wales uh-huh. or somewhere down down under?
1: Uh, no, it's so, so down in Melbourne, yeah. So um, I would have said to keep on exploring. I think the best thing I did in my 20s was actually work for corporates because I learned a lot of experience. You know, I always say if I actually learned when I was 30 what I should have learned, I would have liked to just go back 10 years. 10 years now, just before, let's say two, three years before I started a company, I probably would have prepared myself better on, you know, how hiring is and, you know, and be prepared for the emotional hurdle hurdles. I probably would have also told myself to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and I probably wouldn't have had a company as all, but, um, but all jokes aside, it was be more about, um, you know, doing more courses around, you know, people management and to do it and don't second guess and not, Ask yourself, oh, I shouldn't do, oh, I don't know. Just go for it, you know, and never look back and, and trust yourself. And I think as an entrepreneur, the one thing that I've learned more than any times, that, um, and this has become better with age, is that trust yourself. You know your company better. You know yourself better than anyone else. And so if you think it's a good idea, then it's a good idea. If you think it's a bad idea, then it most likely is a bad idea. No matter who, how high up the food chain of your investors they are, you know your company better than they do.
2: That's, that's great advice. Uh, I think something that kind of stops entrepreneurship is that self-doubt, right? It's just mm-hmm. that, you know, feel of shame. I think in, in the book we're writing too, we're coming up with these uh, notions for like what stops entrepreneurship or what stops like the mo- mo- needle for moving. And I think it's mm-hmm. definitely the mental block of feeling not good enough or feeling a little bit lost, which is pretty common, right? Creating a company yeah. a lot of those times. What, uh, what uh, What do you think it got you through those times or what do you think made you trust yourself when the rejections came in or, you know, like the product started
1: to break down? What, what happens? At the start, it's quite funny because you look back in time now and go, huh? And you smile going, "Yeah, hey, I was the smart one. Um, um, but at the time the rejections really hurt because you think they're the only investors or they're the only customers. And it, it you know, I think Taylor Swift says it best, best shake it off. Um, So, you know, whatever, you know, just shake it off. Um, And that's what you learn in time. And I think if I can tell any of your audience about self-doubt and concern is that, you know, you know, I learned something this weekend where it was actually at a church and he said an analogy, and I will use it, so I have to credit them. Um, And he said that this year has been terrible because, everyone wants to look at the full series of, let's say you want to watch like um, a full series of Hawkeye that's coming out. soon. you want to watch episode one to six, because that's the way we are, but you know, everything comes every week. And so in an entrepreneur's life, everything is like one episode, one episode. And so you don't know the ending. And so think about, you know, even though you'd like to know the full series of what happens with your company, what happens with it, you know, this event is just one episode in a full a full, you know, TV series, you know, and and the TV series is your company. And so as, you know, you go through time, you realize that, you know, you were, you know, these things that really hurt you to begin with, actually just made you stronger and smarter and i always like and this is gloat and i'm happy to do it because bad luck to them a lot of the investors who rejected me in the early stages you know they're no longer around and so that sort of says you know i'm smarter than you <laughs> but at the time you don't think it you don't think it at all and so uh you know a lot of them that said no were you know just the best thing ever because you know i could have you know, i dodged a bullet in that so you'll get there even though it feels so hard to begin with it's just another episode in a tv series that is your company and you know it's a multiple series multiple season event another
2: another episode of a uh, silicon valley and HBO. yeah <laughs> exactly there's
1: many many series <laughs> and many sorry seasons yeah
2: for, for sure last question james in, in your own words uh how would you articulate your own startup mindset
1: uh, startup <laughs> mindset well um, you can take a second if you need to. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's a good question. It's a really good one of the best questions I've got. Um, my mindset is very much of uh, narrow focused. So as a start, my problem was outside and looking at everything, whereas the better I get in the startup mindset is focusing on what I'm brilliant at. Hi, everyone else who's better at me and everything else so at the start of an as an entrepreneur life you're looking at I can do this 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 focus. So my mind mindset has now been about focus and focus on my abilities on what I'm good at, and so that is the best bit of advice I give to other entrepreneurs early stage. Don't do everything, even though you want to. I was there, I was like that. Focus on what you're bringing at. If you're the best tech person, get someone else to do sales or CEO. If you're the best CEO and, and at sales, get someone else to be better at tech, even though you can do it. Focus and be and just focus, 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 and it will be successful. If you look at too many things, it will fail.
2: I love it, man. That, that's seriously um, great advice. I, I mean,
1: uh, I'm sure that it served you well and will serve somebody else well. So, Less, learn lessons from an old man is the, <laughs> and I'm the old man now. <laughs> yeah, james, so, uh, i thought, thought you're only like uh you, you can't be that old man right <laughs> i'm old here. i'm older than some of your audience let's just put it that way you know i okay. see i'm I'm a person who doesn't use tiktok so that should show how old i am oh man makes you makes know. sense <laughs>
2: I, I i suppose the last thing is any lasting lasting words you had james i know we gave you uh, my glass but uh, if you had anything else that you wanted to say just, uh,
1: look you. i mean besides I, I usually typically not like to embellish or talk wonderful things about my company besides you can if people are uh, entrepreneurs are out there they want to get some advice from me uh, twitter is my best form i usually shit talking on twitter as much as i can um, at james jancotti is my twitter tag um, on Instagram, usually showing pictures of food that I shouldn't eat for my waist size, but I still eat it anyway. Um, <laughs> that's another way of getting hold of me. But, um, you know, to entrepreneurs out there, um, you know, my last bit of advice is just go for it. Just go for it. It may feel like crap. You may have a girlfriend, husband, boyfriend, you name it, that says, no, don't do it. Um, if entrepreneurship is the one that you want to be with and do, then that's the more important thing. And I told a friend of mine, who had a girlfriend in about a year. He got rid of the girlfriend and he's now worth $100 million because he found that he was more in love with the company. And that was the smartest thing for him to do. At the time, it probably didn't feel it, but the point was that the one that he truly loved was building this company. So chase the one that you love. And if that is not necessarily a person, it could be yourself and in the company. So chase the dream and the thing that you love.
2: Man, that's awesome. That's about it, man. I mean, thank you. Everything you've about all of
1: your journey throughout the startup experience,
2: and it's been you know, a pleasure and you know super beneficial to learn about. So, thanks. Brilliant. and thank you for having me.